free today. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we have taken the world's slowest route through Philippians, which does not mean we've combed through every verse. It means we took like two-month breaks. Um, but we are we're finally at this passage, and I, I want to read this for you. Uh, we're looking at 5 through 9 this morning. This is in the uh, NRSV. It says, If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, the persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Can we pray together? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here and present among us, and I ask that you would continue to move in us. Would you open our ears to what it is that you want to say, whether that comes directly out of this text or just comes from your voice. Whatever that looks like, God, we give you this time and we ask that you move, that you're glorified by it, and we might see you a little more clearly. In your name, amen. So this is quite the sentence this, that this chunk of Scripture starts off with. It's the sentence, if anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> Rarely is Paul called humble, right? Like, he, he has this ability to be confident, to, to have a little bit of swagger to him. And, and that's what we have here. Now, this has the word flesh in it that uh, we in this day and age have an issue with. We think the flesh and the body and all these things are bad, that spirit, the soul are good. We spent almost two months on it last year together when we talked about the body and, and faith and how they belong together. And there are moments of the New Testament in particular where flesh is read that way, but this one, flesh, is just, it's just a neutral word. It doesn't mean necessarily bad. It's like Paul is saying, if anyone has reason to be confident to stand alone on their own credentials, I have more. That's really what he's, he's saying here. If someone can stand on their own background, on their own experience, and be confident in that, it's me. And that must mean that somebody is talking about that, right? Like as we learn to read literature and read letters and these kind of things, you kind of decipher the context. It must mean that somebody is saying that you can build up some confidence to stand on your own. And he talks to them in the previous, the previous couple verses. He talks to these rivals, and we know in different letters, Paul has different camps of people who uh, teach differently or, or dispute what he says, and here we have another group that's doing that. And Paul is not a fan of them. Of these people, in particular in Philippians 3, he talks pretty mean about them. He calls them dogs. And dogs, like now, like, that might be a nice way to talk about your friends. At this day, it is not. It's a way of cussing. And so he's cussing them out as dogs. He also calls them mutilators. And this is 
particularly interesting because if you remember, the letter to the Philippians is a mainly Gentile church, right? We talk quite a bit about that throughout this year. It's mainly Gentile church, and oftentimes Gentiles are described as dogs in a very derogatory, negative way. We see this in the Gospels where, where uh, a woman says even the dogs get the scraps of food, if you, if you remember this situation. Mutilators is often a pagan, a word about pagan priests who would cut themselves to get the attention of their God. Remember, this is one of the things that the priests of Baal were doing when they were trying to get their God's attention. We talked about this a, a few, actually last month. And so mutilators is this real derogatory term. Calling someone a dog is a very derogatory term and usually said by Jewish people to outsiders. And the interesting thing here is that Paul is saying these, these loaded words on behalf of the outsiders. He's saying it on, the, on behalf of the people who are often called that. Like, no, you are actually the dogs and you are actually the mutilators. These are fighting words. And these are also words that are stirring up some confidence in the Gentiles within this church. But my question right away is, why are these teachers doing this? Why are they wanting to build up confidence in the flesh? And why are they wanting these people, these people meaning the the people in Philippi, the people in this church, why are they wanting them to take on these rituals that are associated with Judaism? Is it just because they want them to be religiously and socially Jewish? No, I I think it's something very different than that. We've talked some about in Rome, the the main religion was worshiping the emperor, right? You needed to go and worship the emperor, and there were parades about it, and there was taxes for it, and all of these big uh, banquets where you would worship the emperor and past emperors. And that was the like, official religion. There were Roman gods. We know this. They creep into our culture, into like Disney movies and stuff like that. But a lot of it was emperor worship. And then there were a couple other religions that Rome was semi-okay with that you could be without getting in trouble. And Judaism was one of them. You could be Jewish in Rome at this time, at the time that this letter is written. You could... You could be Jewish and you weren't favored, but you weren't like at risk of, of being imprisoned over it or killed over it. But there were other religions, other ones that were seen as more dangerous or more wild, less ordered, that if you simply believed that, that was enough for you to go into prison. And we know that Christianity comes out of Judaism, right? Like the, and at this point, it is, it's on like the outskirts, but it's within the confines of that. And I think what these rivals of Paul are saying is there is a safety and there's a security within Rome if you bring this Jesus-loving faith a little bit more to the center of Judaism. There's a safety that you could have. And we know that the threats towards the safety of this church are, are real. We know the danger and the violence is real. And I'm not saying it was purely benevolent, this rival's teaching, but I think it is like, hey, we've got to do what we can to survive. 
And the way that we can do that is, is build up the way that we stand on our own. Is we start to, to come towards the center and come towards where other people are. In this movement, if we move towards what is acceptable in Rome, then we're more safe. And I believe that's the motives of the people. They flaunt their ability to stand on their own and encourage others to build up a resume. And so Paul does just that. He builds up his resume in this passage. First, we're going to have a little high-tech thing. You know, we don't always know if the screen works, so... And this is Anna's art for you guys today. We call it Anna. Privilege of birth. Three of you rows will be able to see that. Okay, he, he talks really clearly about some privileges that he had at birth. says, not only was I circumcised, but in the, in the Greek it says, I am an eighth dayer, which the eighth day is the day that you're supposed to be circumcised if you're completely following the law. A lot of people weren't circumcised on the eighth day. A lot of people had to wait till their family members came in so they could have like the party. A lot of people were too far away, and so they had to wait till the 15th day or the 30th day. A lot of people came into the religion later and poor males were circumcised as like adults or early adolescents, elementary schoolers. It wasn't that often that someone was circumcised on the actual eighth day, but the rule, the law, was the eighth day. And so he's saying I was circumcised, but I was circumcised. I'm an eighth dayer. My folks did it right. And it's not only am I an eighth dayer, but I am from the people of Israel. I'm not from outside and not grafted in, which at this time is a lot of people coming into faith. No, I was born into the people of Israel. Not only to the people of Israel, but the, this, this other line that he has here, of the tribe of Benjamin. Here's why this is important. There were actual papers that people carried if their lineage never went into captivity. You know, many of the tribes went into captivity, and then in captivity you might have married or, or procreated with people who were outside of your lineage and all of this kind of stuff. And then so there was papers that people kept to say, no, my people were always in Israel. As soon as we got to the promised land, we didn't leave. I can prove it. And Paul, when he was Saul, had such paperwork. He could say, I am I'm a Benjamite. I am... As, as inside as insiders can be. And I've got the papers to prove it. This is a really big deal if, if you look through Jewish history. And not only that, but he's a Hebrew-speaking Hebrew. His language, his culture, his heritage, everything he was born into was an insider. And that's what he's talking about here. He has this privilege from and of birth. Okay, do we got any of this in our culture? 
We got any of this? Even, okay, well, I think we could have an expansive conversation as culture at large, but let, let's, let, let's say even in our church culture, not just one church, but in church culture, do we have this? Let, let's name some of the things. What does privilege of birth look like in our day and age? It's probably not eighth-day circumcision. It's, it's probably not Hebrew-speaking Hebrew. It's probably not I got paperwork, but it might be. What does privilege look like now? White male. Yeah. And that is in our culture. That is in our church. And that isn't even just in white church. I've been invited into some other spaces where I'm a minority, but because I'm there, there's just the assumed, because it's true in culture, it's true in here too. And you, there, there, there's like a, a, a little bit of tension around it, but just, uh, yeah, folks who are male and white carry privilege. Didn't necessarily ask for it, certainly didn't earn it. We're born into it. What else? Bible knowledge. If you ever won like a sword drill, you're a cool kid. What else? Can we think of a couple more? Hmm? Yeah, if your parents were married. And what job your parents had, if they had a job. What street you lived on? How long your family lived on that street? Part of the reason we, we strutted around in Brooklyn Center in, in Minnesota is because Grandpa's farm was right there. And then he sold it and it became a couple neighborhoods and stuff like that. We felt like we were cool because like we were on like close to family land. I don't know that anybody else knew. But we sure thought we were important then. A lot of these things speak into like the privilege of our birth. Our, our, I meet other pastors who are like third generation pastors and immediately I'm like, oh, you're like a real one. I'm a new one. You're a real one. We have some of that stuff that's just in culture, right? But it's not just the, the privilege of birth. We have another word here. I should have wrote these ahead of time. We have accolades, right? There's some accolades. We see Paul listing these out. According to the Torah, I'm a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees, in, if you grew up, when I grew up, that, that was a bad word. That meant you were the bad guys. You don't want to be a Pharisee. Truth is, the Pharisees weren't really bad guys. And in fact, much of evangelical culture looks like a Christian version of pharisaical teachings. If you put Jesus in one of the camps, one of the different... He, he clo most closely aligns with the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to be holy as the Torah called them to be holy. They wanted to follow the law. They wanted... God's kingdom to come near, and they thought part of how that would happen quickly is if they behaved, and if their hearts were changed, but also their actions were changed. 
And so they followed law after law after law to kind of keep them in line. And frankly, to keep other people in line. And they thought, well, now that I'm sinning less, if I can get you to sin less, maybe God will come quicker. That sounds like a lot of the churches we grew up in. It's not just that. He says this uh, zeal, this excitement for God, I had it. I had it so much that I was persecuting the church. And if you remember, Paul was really good at that. Unfortunately, he was really good at killing people who love Jesus. And he had zeal, and he had this feeling within him that, that it was his honor and privilege and duty to do this, to go and force what God had. And here's the other weird thing. There's some Old Testament references that kind of read like that. And we've got to figure out what to do with that. There's Phineas, right, who pretty much harpoons some people. And, and God seems to, as the record goes forward, God, God like... God's anger calms down and, and peace kind of comes and all this kind of stuff through this really dark act as Phineas takes it upon himself to make some people see the justice for what they were doing. It's not the only time. There's these things we've got to wrestle with and, and this, this is one of them. The, the third thing that we see in Paul's accolades is a righteousness that if it's according to the law, Paul's blameless. Now, it doesn't mean he's never sinned. What he's saying is, like, if this is our standard, I'm winning. If our, standing, if our standard is the Torah, I've got it. If anybody can stand on their own feet, Paul's saying it's me. If anybody did this thing right and was born into being right, it's me. And then he says this, Yet whatever gains I had from that, from this privilege of birth, from these accolades he, he acquired. If whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Okay, so this is actually financial ledger talk. That's what he's talking about, gains and losses. What he's saying is we are taught that these are on the plus side. And he spent his life with gains, gaining more privilege. And, and, and we know this. Part of how we understand parenthood in, in a semi-broken way is we want our children to be more privileged at birth than we were. We want to acquire some and hand it out, and hand it on to our grandchildren. And some of that, that, that's, that is a, we want some luxury for them, but we also just want safety, security. We know this kind of stuff. It's, it's not outside of our lives. It's, that is seen as gain in his world. Accolades are seen as gain. And what he says... What he says here is, whatever gains I had, I now regard them as losses. He moved them over. They once were the things that gained him privilege and standing and all of that, and now they are losses, not on their own. He's not saying, what a waste of time. No, he compares them, right? 
It says they are lost to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I think there's some significance in language here too. If you're like me, you might have spent some of your life knowing Jesus, knowing Christ. And for me, that usually meant I want to learn some new facts. I want to get my theology down right. I want to make sure I know what's expected of me, what I can expect of Jesus, all of that kind of stuff. And it switches from this intellectual thing as soon as my Lord is mentioned. Because my Lord, if, if we understand that, my Lord is the one who, who guides me. My Lord is the one that I answer to. My Lord is the one that I listen to to know how to walk through this day. It's not a, a fact-based thing. There's no Scantron test that I'm going to take to pass. This is the like, oh, okay, how, what do you have for me today, my Lord? And then it's not just having the Lord. It's, it's knowing the Lord. He says, compared to knowing Christ Jesus is Lord, not just intellectual collect, uh, collecting of facts, not just agreement, but experience with the one he answers to, walks besides, listens to, and is guided by. Next to knowing Jesus, all of this, he says, is rubbish. I love that word. It, it sounds British to me for some reason. He calls it rubbish. And I was sure that like this is him cussing again because he did earlier with dogs, you know. He's not. He's not. This, this word rubbish, it, like, he doesn't care enough to cuss about it, if that makes sense. It's so much less meaningful. It's just, it's just waste. It's over there. There's not even energy for it. Not upset about it, not angry. It's just, it's just not worth it. You know those things that are just so meaningless that it's not worth getting upset about, it's not worth hanging on to? You just, you just let it go. This is a word for, like, waste. I think in uh, Ted Lasso, they'd call it poope. It's just rubbish. Just garbage. Just time to let go of it. Let the rain wash it away. Let it be taken away. Compared to the value of knowing Christ Jesus, it's rubbish. Now here's the thing that's weird. These things we, we would call assets. In fact, last month we spent some time collecting assets as a church, right? And if they are held on this side of the ledger, that's right. Because what we see here is Paul is leveraging all of this on behalf of people who don't have it. On behalf of people who don't have this privilege of birth, he leverages his privilege of birth. But he's not doing it passionately as one who is so proud of his privilege. No, it's, it's rubbish for him. It doesn't matter. But to those who it matters for, he is going to fight and defend that knowing Christ is more. So there's these words that get tossed around. We talk about them some. They're 
talked about a, a lot in Christian culture, these words deconstruction and reconstruction, right? A lot of the church is afraid of these words. That's what this is. This is a passage, if you wonder what deconstruction looks like in the Bible, this is a passage where Paul tells his story of deconstructing a faith and reconstructing something new. I once thought that all of these were gains. And in my faith, they were gains. And now that I've experienced who Jesus is, it, it shook my faith to the foundations. And I had to let go of things. And I had to start counting things as rubbish. Because I found something else that was worth way, way more. And I had to start teasing out what to let go of, what to hold on to. This takes some grief. He spent a lot of time to become that good of a Pharisee. And then he let it go. He spent a lot of time in that zeal. And they needed to repent and grieve and do all that kind of stuff to be able to have it not be like this, this, uh, oh, what's the word? this nuclear thing that he's calling rubbish. You know what I mean? That would be different if it's, if it's radioactive, it would be very different. He, he's saying, no, this is actually just, that has been sorted out. It's not radioactive in my life anymore. It's just, it's just rubbish. It's just garbage. It's just time to let go of. That's some real work. And in the church today, this church in particular, this is the work that we're in. Now that I'm learning to know the Lord differently, how do I let go of these things? Leverage them for other people, but let go of them in, our, in my own ledger. Who am I if I am not what I was born into and what I've acquired along the way? Who am I? Who are we if we're not comparing ourselves to others? But if we're just understood for how we know the Lord. So we know that he, he had said in, in this accolade part, he had said that under the law, he was as good as it gets. And then he writes this towards the end. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. Okay, we're going to geek out for a second, okay? This is a little Greek phrase here, pistis Christo. And the way that it's written, the letters that it is, it could mean one of two things, and scholars are split, and you get to be the scholar, okay? It can accurately be understood as faith in Christ. It's the way most of church history has understood it. So by that, he would be saying that I am not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but this righteousness that I have comes from my faith in Jesus Christ, okay? You can understand it that way. Nothing wrong with that. There's another way to understand this. And it would be the faithfulness of Christ. You hear how those are different? Faith in Christ or faithfulness of Christ. If that's the way that it is, it is not having a righteousness of my own that comes through law, but one that comes through the faithfulness of Christ. The righteousness that he experienced comes through Christ because God is so faithful, because Jesus is so faithful. It's not dependent on Paul's actions at all. And so a lot of church history has believed that this is faith in Christ. N.T. Wright and a bunch of people nowadays really believe, no, I think it's more accurately this faithfulness of Christ. And theologians are going to argue this, and 
I can give you updates. There's like, you know, Twitter on this is hot, let me tell you. But I get to be a pastor, not a theologian. And here's what I think is cool. I feel like we might be at a time where whatever was first meant, both of these are gifts to us. There are times that I would argue and argue and argue that my story only went forward because I had an experience of the faithfulness of Christ. It was not because I was faithful. It was not because I had faith. It was because I know that Jesus was faithful in my life. And I have no righteousness on my own, but I know that I, be, I was gifted a righteousness because of the faithfulness of Christ. I also know that I've had some days where my faith has been required, where I had an active role in this thing. And I didn't produce the righteousness. I didn't, it, it, it's, it's not like now I can have this thing in my, my plus side of the ledger that says, look at how great I am. But there were moments where I have said, Jesus, I believe you. I don't even know what all that means, but I believe you. I have faith in you. I put my trust in you. And that has moved the story forward. I know that both are true. I know that's true of us as a church. And I know there are moments where I need to have courage within me to live in the faith, having faith in Christ. I'm facing some obstacles, and I need to have faith, and that's what this day requires. And there are other days where I'm so tired and I'm so emotionally spent where I am so grateful that the Jesus I know is faithful and he carries me through. And scholars are going to continue to argue about which one it is. You could have a preference. We could have coffee and talk about it. I, I've geeked out on this for a real long time. But here's the beauty of it today. In this room, for some of us, we will go forward because of the faithfulness of Christ. And for some of us, we will go forward today because we have faith in Christ. And we could gather the same people together next week, and it might be opposite. This week you needed the faithfulness of Christ, and next week you needed to muster up some faith. And the beauty is we can lean on each other and we can learn from one another. This mysterious marriage of these two words. I, I, Paul probably meant one or the other, but there's beauty that both meanings are true and can be experienced today. This faith is mysteriously led by the faithfulness of Christ. How Christ was faithful in life and death and now living and loving us towards himself. And there is a faith in Christ that happens, a moving thing on this ledger where we count everything else as rubbish and we count our treasures as Jesus and the things of God's kingdom being remade and reformed. This we give our attention to. And so in just a moment, we're going to receive communion if you don't have a communion cup, go ahead and raise your hand and it's going to be brought to you. But I want to give you a moment to, to think on this. I don't know how clear it was. I hope, hope it was clear enough. But maybe there's one, two things that you want to move on the ledger. And so 
think through that. If you want someone to pray with about that, we'll, we'll have that in a moment. Or maybe you're needing to know the faithfulness of Christ today. And I want you to, I, I want you to have a chance to have that be your request as we receive this communion. Or maybe today it's time for you to stand up in faith in Christ for the first time, for the 50th time. Maybe you need to do that in the silence of your heart. Maybe you need to tell somebody. But whatever that is, I want to give you a, I want to give you a chance to, I want to give you a chance to name that. Whatever it is that you're needing, I want to give you a chance to be honest about that before we receive this communion. So just pause like 15 seconds here.